What I'm going to share with you, I would consider the foundation of my life and the foundation of my ministry and the foundation of this church. So I want to have recordings that people can listen to in the future who are interested in becoming a, a part of, of Desert Gardens. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. And Lord, as we think of 9-11 and the families of those who lost loved ones, Lord, still grieving today, I'm sure. So, Father, the memory of those people, we pray that you will encourage those who are hurting, and they do, I'm sure, each anniversary. So, Father, we thank you for the peace and the comfort that only you can bring. Uh, Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for what you did in my life this week and preparing for this morning, Lord, and what you're going to continue to do in my life and our lives. Uh, you say in your word that we heard read earlier that where two or three agree on something, Father, that you will do it. And so, Father, we have big prayers today for the hurricane situation and those who are suffering. I pray they'll have an opportunity to... Uh, be a witness for you. So many questions, Lord, so many people asking why. Why, God, do you allow this to happen? Why, God, do you allow so many innocent people to lose so much and those to lose lives? So, Father, pray that you'll help pastors today who are speaking words of comfort to many people. Lord, I pray that you would be pleased to use me this morning as your channel. Father, I commit myself to you in Christ's name. Amen. As I have shared with you before, Iris and I, uh, in the evenings as we go to bed, we do different readings in the morning, but we uh, do Sarah Young's uh, uh, writing. This one is called Jesus Calling, Enjoying Peace in His Presence. And I'm going to be talking today about my favorite, favorite, favorite doctrine, and it's the doctrine of grace. And uh, we read this on September the 7th, and I want to just share a, a short paragraph with you. Some pastors try to whip their people into action with guilt-inducing sermons. This procedure can drive many people to work harder, but the end does not justify the means. Guilt-evoking messages can undermine the very foundation of grace in a believer's heart. A pastor may feel successful when his people are doing more, but I look at their hearts. This is Jesus speaking. I grieve when I see grace eroding with weeds of anxious works creeping in. I want you to relax in the assurance of my perfect love. The law of my spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And uh, this morning, uh, the whole basis for my message today and, uh, and a couple of Sundays is Romans 6.14. And it says, For sin shall not master over you, but you are not under the law, but under grace. We are people, listen carefully, 
We are living under the grace system. Uh, whether you completely understand it or not, and I hope to help us understand it better in the next couple of Sundays, it doesn't matter. You're still under that. You are not under the law. And when I talk about the law, I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. I'm talking about all the law, laws of the Old Testament. We're now under the command and the... and. Because we're under grace doesn't mean we can do anything we please to do because grace has its own uh, regulations like uh, do not lie to one another. That's one of the commandments that belong to the church age. That's one that we are to follow. So even if we don't fully understand the system of grace that we are under, it doesn't change it. As Christians, the moment we come to personal faith in Jesus Christ, which means the moment we believe that Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again for us and has forgiven us, once we believe that, then we are under the grace system. And so it's going to be the object of our study for a couple of weeks at least. Stay up front, it's not natural. Grace has to be taught. It's not something that people just fully understand. Uh, you can't see it. Now, I hear people say, well, she's a gracious person. So we can learn something about grace as we look at some people's lives. So where do we see grace? First of all, we see it in the person of Jesus Christ. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth are realized, were realized through Jesus Christ. So the better we understand Christ, his attributes, who he is, what he did, what he taught, listen carefully, the better we understand him, the better we understand the grace system that we are under. So we live under it. And where do we see grace in a person? Romans 7, uh, 6, 17 says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. And Titus 2.11 tells us, For the grace of God has appeared, has appeared in Christ, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And then down to verse 13, it says, Looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us. So let me say it again. The better Jesus Christ is the one who shows us what grace is like. And so the better we understand Christ his attributes, what he taught, the kind of person that he was, the better we understand that, the better you and I understand the whole system of grace. So first of all, grace is the system we live under. Secondly, where do we see grace? We see grace in Jesus Christ. And the better we understand him, the better we understand grace. And third, grace is the way that God operates. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy, 
because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, I underline, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You can't be partially under the law and partially under grace. You're not partially pregnant. The doctor never said, ma'am, you are partially pregnant. No, either you're pregnant or you're not pregnant. And so if you have come to faith in Christ, listen carefully, you are under grace. Grace is what saves us and forgives us, and I'm going to define it in just a moment, and grace is what gives us the strength and the power to go on, to do what we need to do. Now, there are some things you can understand about God by looking in nature. I can look at the mountains out here, and I can say, look at the power of God, and, and what a Unfortunate illustration today with the hurricane that we are experiencing. Look at the power of God. Look at it. Man can't stop it. But you can't look at the mountains and say, look at the grace of God. We don't see his grace in nature. World can be very vicious at times. I love to watch animal programs but they can be very vicious to each other because the world can be vicious. So you can look and say, look at the power of God, but I can't look out there and say, look at God's grace. For since creation of the world, in verse 20 of John 1, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Grace has the works best in people who do not feel worthy of it. Grace has a very difficult time working in people's lives who feel that they are worthy or that they can become worthy. Now, I don't think any of us here feel worthy. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, and that's when Christ came down and offered us forgiveness. But grace has a very hard time working in people's lives who feel that they are worthy. After all, God, all the good things that I do, they feel worthy or they feel like they can become worthy. If I just work harder, if I do more good things, if I give more, then I can become worthy. Grace can't work in those situations. The only situation that grace is effective is in lives of people who know that they are not worthy. Now I'm going to define grace. And I'll repeat it several times in the next few weeks. So, Grace is God's unmerited and unlimited 
blessings based on the totally adequate work of Christ. Again, grace is God's unmerited and unlimited blessings based on the totally adequate work of Christ. You and I can never merit it. It is unmerited. And you can never wear it out. It is unlimited. Based upon the adequate work of Christ. Unmerited. Unlimited. <laughs> you can't exhaust it. That, that alone just caused me when I was writing this to put my head down in prayer and say, Lord, not only do I not deserve it, but I can't exhaust it. There is nothing, nothing that I can do that will ever exhaust God's grace. There never comes a time when God will say, now, Jerry, listen, 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 Jerry. There's a limit. Just be careful. Don't do too much. Don't ask too much. Don't expect too much because there is a limit. There is no limit. We know something about God's grace by looking at the people who God blesses. Did they deserve merit? No. Did they deserve it? No. Ephesians 2.5 Even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved while we were dead while you and I were a corpse God reached down and did something enormous he made us alive while we were dead he made us alive together with Christ Romans 5:20 the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Let me read it from the New Living Translation. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. It was never deserved never earned, never merited, ever, ever. But God demonstrates his love in Romans 5, 8, toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, 5, 10, Romans, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. What kind of person does God bless? Listen, the Apostle Paul, when he was given this thorn in his side in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and he, that is God, has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Romans 4.4, 4, now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, 
but as what is due. When you and I work, what we do is that we put our employer in debt. He owes us. And then when we get our paycheck after two weeks, that debt is relieved. I don't go to my employer and say, dear, mighty, wonderful employer, would you please, in great mercy, pay me for what I have done? I don't do that because I am owed. That was the agreement that was made. Is paycheck a favor or what is owed? It's owed to us. And every two weeks when I get paid, I relieve my employer of that debt. Romans 5.20 says, the law was brought in so that the, so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. I have so much I'm going to say about that. Romans 5.20 in the New Living Translation. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they are. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. When you raise the sin level, you raise the grace level. You cannot out-sin grace. Don't you love that? There are times when I have done things and I look at my life and I say, Jerry, you made a mess. But you know what? I can't out-sin grace. It's there. It's inexhaustible. It is unlimited. There's no end to it. Ever. Now, there could be some twisted reasoning and people would say, um, Okay, Paul, we're going to get you on this one. It's a good thing that you teach about grace. And by the way, we have to be taught grace because grace is not something that's naturally understood. We have to be taught grace. We have to learn about grace. And that's why I'm teaching it. So we say, but that's good, Paul. But we ought to be careful when you teach about grace. You, you have to draw a line somewhere. It might be dangerous if you teach it too much. Grace is greater than any level of sin. Now, if people said that to Paul and said, Paul, you've got to be careful. If anybody said that to me, and I shared with you the story about the gal up at First Free when I was up there on North Swan. I told you about the time that I put up a rose for a baby that was born out of wedlock. And we celebrated the birth of that child because we believe in the sanctity of life. And I saw this lady come towards me afterwards and I've known her from before. She had me right in her eyesight and her focus. She came to me and she was very upset. She said, Pastor, you cannot celebrate the birth of a child to someone who is not married. If you do that, you're going to encourage other young girls to have babies out of wedlock. And I said to her, and I won't say her name, I said to her, we're not celebrating what happened to the mother. We're celebrating that we have a baby that's alive, not aborted, and celebrated. And she said to me one time, Pastor, you've got to be careful about how much you talk about grace. Because if you keep talking about it like you are, you're going to encourage people to do things that are wrong. 
And I said to her, I know I did say to her, but I'm thinking this morning, if, that you, if you're thinking to yourself that I have to be careful, then thank you. Thank you, it's a compliment. Because you know what's happened in the, Christ, in the church today is that we've gotten too hung up on things that we do. Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. It is the strongest Greek expression there is. God forbid. May it never be. Let it not be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? Because you just said that the more we sin, the more there is grace. So let's sin a lot because there will be a lot of grace. And Paul is saying, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? That unmerited, unmerited, inexhaustible, God's blessings based upon the adequate, complete work that Christ did for us on the cross. Why do I get excited? Why do I pound the pulpit? Why do I yell? Why do I raise my voice? Because people, the church of Jesus Christ is missing that. So many pastors this morning are telling their people, pray more, give more, do more, on and on and on. I can remember when we had our vacation Bible school and I'd get up to ask for someone to direct the school this summer. And everybody kind of looked at the floor and shuffled their feet because they didn't want to make eye contact with the pastor for fear that they were going to be asked to direct the vacation Bible school. I'm not asking you to do more. I'm asking you to enjoy Jesus Christ and because of his grace you will be motivated. And that would be the best kind of motivation. Father, thank you. Lord, I, I don't know how else to say it. I can't shout louder. Can't write it in the sky, Lord. But we are now under this system called grace. That's what we celebrate at communion, Father. We are under grace. That unmerited, unending Blessing that you give us through what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Lord, would you burn that in our minds? Would you burn that in our hearts? Would you burn that into our lives, Father? So when you look upon us today, you see us as people clothed in the, in the white garment of righteousness, perfectly forgiven today and forever. There will never be a time we're not forgiven. Thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen.